Does that sound right? Cool. All right. Let me grab the link for that quickly. Okay. So what I just shared is a link to a Google Doc, and I'll share my screen so that we can all see it live. This is pretty straightforward. It's a, we've, we've talked through a lot of these things kind of throughout the talk, but I think it's really valuable to force ourselves through the critical thinking process of what it really means to understand product, the market, the product market fit. So uh, what I want each person to do is to pick your favorite bio company. So this, this if you have an idea uh, already, feel free to, to do this based on your idea, but I don't expect that. Uh, so pick your favorite bio company and uh, try to answer the following questions about the company. So we're going to start with what's the broader problem that they're trying to solve? What is the solution to this problem? And then how is their product a great solution to that problem? You also want to understand how do people pay for the product? How can you uh, go about estimating their market size, both from a top-down and a bottom-up approach? Uh, if you want to really go for it, you can try to, to do some rough numbers, but it's really more important, I think, here to understand the, the mechanisms of how you would go about that process. Uh, try to think about who were their earliest customers, what, who bought their, their early MVP and the early product iterations after the MVP, and how did they develop their product over time in a way that grew their, their uh, serviceable, attainable market? What about their product makes it scalable? Can other companies use that same kind of method and approach to scaling? And are there limitations to who they can sell their products to? And then lastly is the bioproduct fit. To give a little bit of context about why, uh, why I chose these questions and this activity is because this is actually something uh, that I do with companies who are looking to start fundraising soon. These are a subset of questions that I have founders go through and answer about their product and themselves before they actually design their pitch deck. What I find is that the more clear you are on these fundamentals, the easier it is for you to go back and forth between talking to customers as well as talking to investors about your product. It can be very difficult because the reason why an investor wants to invest is often not the same reason why a customer wants to buy. And the more clear you are about the broader space that you're in, what you're specifically doing in that space, and how it's valuable to these different stakeholders, the easier it is to kind of perform that general balance and act. So uh, that being said, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys will do great and, and come to some excellent answers, but are there any specific questions uh, before I, I set you off on this task? All right. I will, I will take that as an indicator that the, uh, the premise is pretty clear. Um, let me know how it goes.
everybody. And I appreciate the questions to clarify uh, kind of what the, the questions are, are trying to get at here. I thought it might be helpful to maybe just run through a couple of examples of answers to, to each of these, mostly as a way to make sure that we all, all understand uh, what's happening. Before I jump into that, does anybody else have a question about what one of the questions uh, is trying to ask? Let me see the slides again. Sure, you want me to pull up the slides? Maybe the easier way for me to do that is to, uh, I can share a viewable link to the slide deck so that you can flip through to the slides that you are specifically looking to see. Okay. So I'll in here. Perfect. Okay. So let's jump in here for a moment. Um, how about uh, maybe one or two people, if you guys want to pop in and tell me what company you decided to kind of do your breakdown on. Um, I don't know if I could like start talking, but I decided to yeah. do my um, I, I decided to do my breakdown on um the company Thermo Fisher because we um saw them at a recent life science um life science expo that we had behind our chemistry building literally two days ago, and ah perfect um. I, for the first question of like, what is, what is the broader problem that the company is trying to solve? Um, it seems that they're trying to solve um, just making like cheaper and faster and um, renewable um, lab equipments. Um, <clears throat> so sorry for my voice. I literally like just wake up. Uh, they're trying to like make cheaper equipment that you know people could use in the labs, um, uh, from fridges to pipettes and everything. And what's the solution to this problem? I felt like they had such a broad like for this question. I was like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> because they 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 have like such a broad spectrum of things that they try to solve with um their yeah. their, their products. So I felt like defining it would be quite um quite unnecessary because they just don't they have like a broad spectrum of solutions to different problems as it relates to like um you know the accessibility of lab equipment. Um, uh, so let's, let's actually pause there because I, I actually think that's a that's a really important point you just uh, you just came to. Uh, accessibility is often a very major problem and pain point, especially uh, as you look around the world. But even when you look within uh, highly developed nations, you still have a problem of maybe cost accessibility. Uh, sometimes accessibility is limited by whether or not you can even buy that piece of equipment in your area. 
And I think that when you look at very large companies, uh, because they have uh, a lot of resources, because they're globally distributed, they can be very well positioned to solve these sorts of challenges of availability and accessibility, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, so and being able to solve for what the what's missing, one of you know, they do have a lot of different solutions, uh, but they need a lot of different solutions because it takes a lot of different supplies to to run a laboratory, right? Yeah, and also I think that thermofacial um, they they uh, benefit from I forgot what's the terminology, but something of scale. Whenever like you 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 can yeah have, the economies of scale yeah economy of scale um yeah I, I definitely think that because they're a bigger company you find that they're able to create lab equipment at a cheaper cost than like other companies that were just startups there and their like equipment would be like really expensive and um accessibility to for me i think it's also influenced by like your spending power because um while like at stanford like like twenty thousand dollars for a multi 96 channel multi multi-channel pipette um would probably seem like okay any lavender mom here could probably afford it but that might not be the same for some other school right absolutely absolutely um so yeah let's keep going uh how how do you what do you think about number three um how do people pay for um the product um I just put smart smarts because that's like, um, I just know that's like how we pay. But I just generally think that like everyone pays through the internet or orders it through the internet. Um, that's true. And it's also true that Thermo is an example of a company that uh, you are purchasing a, uh, for an upfront cost, you're purchasing the good, right? So yeah. you're, not, uh, you're not purchasing access to all of their supplies for a flat fee. Um, there's no subscription, right? But you, you're paying for the product each time that you buy it and you're, you're purchasing access to specific units and quantities of those goods. Okay, great. I think that's kind of clear up what, like, the question. Um, how to go about answering it. Um, for the part that says, how could you estimate the company's TAM, SAM, and SOM using the top-down approach? I was like, need more info because I didn't know what to put. Yeah, I think, um, so I think that if you consider a thermal fisher, one way to look at it is what are the different types of labs that they sell to? Um, mm-hmm. Because it's such a large company, they sell to, you know, biomedical, ecology, chemistry labs, right? They go even way beyond the biospace itself. Um, even though they are predominantly a life sciences company. And so to think about it from a top down, you almost want to know what is the entire market of laboratories uh, because they have goods they can sell to almost any lab out there. Um, And then what they're likely to to then, uh, what's serviceable to them, well, the real value of Therma Fisher comes from when they can give you a variety of products when you don't have to purchase from a lot of different people. So their serviceable market is probably where you start to limit it down to more biology and chemistry labs specifically, and especially uh, life science and bio-based labs. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Awesome. Um, How could you estimate the company's Tamsam song using a bottom-up approach? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. 
that's okay. So, and it gets complicated because they sell such a wide variety of, of products. So one of the things that, uh, that you'll run into is that you could say, okay, if I want to go from the bottom up, I want to think about every good that Thermos sells. And I want to figure out about how many customers are going to buy each of those goods and then start multiplying and how much I think they're willing to pay. And you can see very quickly that when you get to large and complicated uh, companies with, with a very diverse product offering, bottom-up gets very complicated very quickly to do. And that's why you often see people talking about those companies, mostly in terms of market share. Uh, and it starts to become very broad strokes. How are they going to increase their market share? Well, now they're going to target this type of research. Whereas when you have a more narrow scope of, of product offerings, then you're going to see a lot more inclination towards the bottom-up approach being a simple way to address those questions because it might be um, a matter of saying, well, we currently sell 96 well plates. If we also sold 24 well plates, uh, we could expand our market by X percent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. Um, who were the company's earliest customers? What product changes helped them expand? expand their customer base um for this one i come and put um the earliest customers were um essentially probably labs i i i probably don't see like thermal fisher i haven't seen like their um like products in any other place but in a lab so um i i put that as like you know, probably schools were the earliest or research institutes were the like, earliest customers. And then that they branched out to um, broader customers like manufacturing and stuff like that. However, you never know if it was one of those companies who started off by selling to a manufacturing like organizations and then trickled mm -hmm. down into like schools and places. So I said, like, you could think of it as coming from both ways. Um and what product changes help them expand their customer base? And um, for this one, I just thought that probably like the improvement of their technologies would generally like, um, you know, allow them to like expand their customer base, like, you know, just continuously improving the products that they already have, probably shifting from manual, most of their products to manual to more mechanical um, mm -hmm mechanical based products would you know help them and i like at their at their expo i saw that was like a really big thing of like you know um using uh shifting from like just a manual pipetting to like a robot that like pipettes for you which is kind of cool um yeah and i want to pop in there for a second because this is an yeah. example where uh thermo is is an interesting example because it's such a large and complicated company so thermo fisher um See, it was probably 10, 15 years ago now. It was actually a merger between two very large life science companies. And that's where the, the words thermo and Fisher came from. They each took one of the one of the words from their previous name and merged them together. And really? so, uh, yeah. And so that's actually part of the product changes to expand their customer base is that they realized that by merging together as two companies, uh, they would be able to service a larger base than either company alone could. And to your earlier point about economies of scale, they would make more money by merging together and doing that because they could service this overlapping group of customers, gain kind of the additional customers on either side, 
while also improving their economies of scale through the, the joint distribution centers of the two companies. Amazing. This sounds great. Um, I'll continue now. Um, what makes yeah, companies' please. products scalable? Can others scale in the same way? Um, what I uh, said was like um, improve manufacturer chain can make make a company's product scalable. Um, mm-hmm. But also, like you talking about, like um, just now about like the companies, two companies merging together, and therefore um, they they have access to much more resources, and that like they'll be able to be improved by economy of scale. Um, with that in mind, I think that also is like something else that could make a company scalable. But this question talks about the product scalability. Um, I so you're right. The, the, the two are not, they're not that distinct, right? When you have yeah. multiple products, then company scaling changes a little bit from one product at a time. And maybe you deprecate one product because you're going to emphasize others. So there's a lot of dynamics of multiple products, but those fundamental principles, what happens to the company from scalability is effectively the aggregation of its product scalability. Hmm. Interesting. So company scalability means product scalability. It is a company can only scale to the extent that their products can. Okay, great. See an alignment that is a strategy of scaling that other companies can follow. Now, would a competitor be able to compete with Thermo Fisher easily? And that that would be what's very difficult, right? If you are a new company in the space, you probably aren't going to have an easy time competing with Thermo Fisher on price point, for example, or on diversity of products. But ultimately, you can use similar tactics on the product by product level to try to achieve scalability for yourself and ultimately become more viable to compete on the company level with Thermo Fisher. Mm, okay. Um, the next question is, are there limitations to who company can sell their products to? And uh, um, I said definitely there um, would be a limitation to like who can afford or who is willing to pay the price that they're offering their products to. That would be like a limitation. Um, if they don't have any um, distribution channels to like certain geographic locations, then that also influences... Um, who they can sell their products to. So I just had those two. That's, I think that's spot on. Um, describe the describe company's bio product fit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I just like thought about like the definition earlier of product market fit. Um, mm-hmm. So if uh, it just describes like if um, they're how much like people there is that are willing to pay for this or willing to buy this army um, cause again product at the mm-hmm. price that company is offering it at and i was like that's about it yeah and i think that's about right for for thermo fisher right they don't sell the biological organisms themselves they sell yeah. everything you need to to culture and take care of those organisms right yeah. And so for them, that actually makes things a lot easier. It's uh, it's much more difficult to be the company that ships cells than it is to be the company that ships media and antibiotics for those cells. Um, and so they've kind of avoided the need to have a clear bioproduct fit. And in its own way, that is a way to to avoid that particular set of challenges is to service the, the market around it, right? 
Um, yeah. I would say that that's similarly true of OpenTrans, my my employer, because we sell robots uh, that are for biologists. They are liquid handling robots. Uh, so yeah. I'm glad that you like robotics for pipetting. I do too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I think fundamentally uh, what we're doing is we're servicing the biology market. We're trying to enable bioinnovation. But we don't have to worry if our biology is correct for the problem. We have to worry if our robots are good for working with biology workflows. It's a little bit different. Thermo Fisher, they're worried about do the reagents they sell enable life science and bi- biology cultivation. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for running through that. I really appreciate that and great job on it. Thank you. Awesome. Cool. Well, that wraps up uh, this portion of the activity. Again, if anybody has a specific set of questions or, uh, you know, ever wants to be able to discuss these sets of topics, uh, find me, reach out, just uh, include the word iGEM in the first couple words so that I I know uh, iGEM Epic also is super helpful because then I'll know exactly where where we crossed paths. Um, But thank you so much, everybody, and best of luck in your your scientific and entrepreneurial journeys. I'm really excited to see what what you guys come up with. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Uh, Just to recap, make sure to use these questions from today for your pitch. Uh, Talk to customers and uh, connect with us on LinkedIn. I'm going to pop mine in in the chat below. Um, And here's a fun little article that I think is also super helpful. Uh, See you all tomorrow at the same time. And thank you, Kennedy, again for such an awesome presentation. All right. Thanks again. And I'll drop my LinkedIn in the chat as well in case that's helpful for anybody. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Bye, everybody.